Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start at the tomb. We're going to start at the empty tomb. It is Easter Sunday. Jesus is risen from the dead, and we have Luke's account of what took place that morning. It says in verse 1, Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, and I I think that was a little bit of an understatement, but uh, can you imagine all of a sudden two men in glowing clothes come and stand beside you in a tomb? It says, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. This is resurrection day. This is Easter Sunday morning. Jesus has risen from the dead. It's a great story. It's a great narrative. But is that all that it is? Is it just a great story? Is it just a nice sentiment? Is it just a nice ending to a nice story? Or is there something more? Is there something significant about the resurrection? And if so, what is that? Now, I've been in ministry a a long time, um, and over those years, I have uh, performed countless weddings, number of weddings. It goes with the territory. And I I love weddings. I enjoy doing weddings, uh, performing weddings. Um, In different states, so um, I started ministry in Canada. We moved to Illinois, spent 11 years there, and then we've been here for nine now. And throughout those uh, places where we've lived, um, not just the local community, but in some of the other communities, states and counties and that where we've uh, performed weddings, each... um, county or each jurisdiction has different sort of ways of, of uh, doing the marriage certificate or the marriage license. In some places, you have all of the witnesses that will sign the, the, the marriage document. Uh, sometimes it's just the bride and the groom. Uh, here in Wise County, it's just the pastor, just the, the clergy, the person who's performing the wedding, the officiant. Um, well, there was a time where uh, I was performing a wedding, and um, this was one where the, the uh, best man and the maid of honor needed to sign the, re- um, the, the document, and then the bride and the groom needed to sign as well. So I took them down to my office, and uh, I wanted it to be something special, something memorable and that. So um, I, I had the bride sit at my desk, and the, the attendants and the groom were standing around, and I thought, in order to commemorate this, I want them to use, I just don't want them to use, you know, you know, a big pen or a pilot or something. I want them to use a nice pen. So um, if you know me, I, I used to collect um, vintage fountain pens. And a number of years back, I'd been given just a beautiful uh, uh, fountain pen, a Mont Blanc, um, just, uh, just one, it's kind of the, the piece of the resistance of my collection. It's just a, a beautiful pen. I thought, I'm going to pull out 
um, this beautiful pen and I'm going to let them sign this marriage document with, with a fountain pen. Well, if you've ever used a fountain pen, um, this, and this isn't uh, you know, one that you stick the cartridge in. This is one that you have the ink well and you draw the ink out of the ink well into the ink pen. And, and so the, the best man signs and the, the maid of honor signs and then the groom signs. And last but not least, there's the bride sitting at my desk and she had a real poofy white um, gown that kind of went between her and the desk and she's sitting there right. Well, she had one of these signatures that as she, she signed, it, it kind of went back on itself. And, and so she signed and then, and it was almost like it was in slow motion. Uh, well, it was in slow motion, at least for me, because she signed and it went back and the nib on this, the gorgeous, beautiful uh, nib on this, it bent over and it dragged across this paper and all of a sudden this glob of beautiful, gorgeous blue ink flicks out of the nib of the pen and in slow motion, remember, slow motion, this thing is making its way toward her dress. It, it, was, it was just like, no! And, and, and the, the maid of honor, no! And the, the best man, no! You know, everyone. And, and the bride was kind of in shock as this, this glob of beautiful ink started making its way and it was coming and it landed on the corner of the desk. There is a God. <laughs> Crisis averted. Crisis averted. From that day on, I've never used a fountain pen for them. Uh, at a, at a. But let me ask you this question. What happens when the ink blot lands on the dress? What happens in your life when crisis isn't averted? What happens when bad things happen? What happens when sickness and illness and death and, and sadness and sorrow and fear and anxiety and those are the, are the rhythm of your life or the, are the, uh, the, the pinpoints of your life? It, it, it's great to be able to say, yes, Christ is averted, but what happens when crisis is not averted? And when the worst case happens, when real life happens and wedding dresses get stained and things get broken, sadly, we live in a world where sickness and sadness and death and broken relationships and broken homes, stolen possessions and broken lives is what we experience. What happens when things get ruined, when things don't go your way? Where do you go for help? I'd like you to turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and you might be sitting there going, well, pastor, this is Easter Sunday. Um, uh, the creation account is for another time, right? Well, stick with me. Genesis chapter 1. And I want us to step through what God has created and what God did create, because I believe it holds some importance for us today. Genesis 1, verse 1. You know these verses well, probably. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created. He, he breathed this world into existence out of nothing. The Greek is ex nihilo. Out of nothing, he breathed life into existence. And over the next five days, he created what we know as our earth and every living being and thing within it. In verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, and that's important, in, the, in his image he created the male and female, he created them. Verse 31, the first part of verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. This is creation. This is what God made. This is what God formed. Almost like a, uh, an artist creating a masterpiece. An artist that, that uh, has this idea and this concept and, and sets the plan in place and executes that plan and creates this wonderful, beautiful piece of art. If you're any artistically inclined in any stretch of the imagination... You have done this. You have, have thought something through, whether it's, whether it's painting or whether it's working with your hands, making something, creating something. You, you imagine something, you think of something, and then you come up with a plan, you devise a plan, you execute it, and this creation takes place. It's what artists do. It's what God has done. Creating in beauty with purpose. And function. It, this creation is truly an expression of Him. You think of the perfection that it was. He said it was very good all throughout uh, the creation. It is good, it is good, it is very good. And there we have Adam and Eve in the garden in this relationship of perfection. Nothing between them and God, walking with God on a daily basis, everything accessible to them, everything created for their benefit, for their enjoyment, for their pleasure. Perfection. And then almost as if on cue, so familiar to us on this side of the story, the ominous music starts. And it begins to rise and it begins to get louder. And in this pristine, perfect creation, we have an antagonist. We have an adversary. God's enemy, we know as Satan, the devil, appears in the form of a serpent. And he lies to God's creation, lies to Adam, lies to Eve causes them to doubt, casts doubt in their minds with questions like, did God really say this? Did He really mean this? Did God really intend? Can you really trust Him? And doubt begins to creep in to the point where they turn away from God and sin enters the world. Adam and Eve chose to ignore God's instructions Paradise was lost. Perfection was broken. And ever since that moment in Genesis chapter 3, where sin entered the world, the problem of sin has been a reality for every single human being. You see this world and this creation that we live in 
you included, you and me included, were created by God as his masterpiece, as his amazing masterpiece. And yet sin and corruption entered into this world to the point where his creation has been broken, broken and shattered into pieces. And as examples of that, all we have to do is look at our lives, lives full of grief, Lives full of fear and worry and anxiety and shame and sickness. Longing and desiring to be restored back to the original glory that we once were created in. You see, we live in a world where things don't work right. You don't have to look far. You don't have to go searching for things that don't work right. They don't work as God intended. We talked about our our physical bodies breaking down. Do you know that the cells in your body have been pre-wired and pre-designed to function in a certain way according to the way God had intended? And yet the medical community in research and study over the years has discovered that sickness and illness, cancer in particular, are cells that are not functioning the way that they were intended to. A brokenness even within the microscopic parts of our body. These things don't work. Many people often ask, well, Darren, we're we're, we're good people. I'm a good person. This person, I know, they're, they're a great person. Why are these things happening to them? It's a great question. It's a valid question. Why are these things happening to us? You ever ask that question? Not to oversimplify it, but I think there's three, three answers to that question. The first one is our own sin, our own mistakes. Those times when we choose to put ourselves first rather than God's choices in our lives. And, and as a, a, a reaction or response to those decisions we make, we suffer the consequences of those bad decisions. Our own sin is one explanation for bad things that happen to us. If we divert from the plan that God has for us, there are consequences to that. Not because there's a vindictive and angry God who wants to punish us, but a God who has set a way that is one that brings life and one that brings joy, and we divert ourselves from that. That's one explanation. Another explanation is other people's sin. You know, we live in in a world that is full of other people. Look around you. You have a neighbor next to you, sitting right next to you. You have someone in front of you, someone behind you. You will go home to your house. Chances are there's be some people you meet with and talk to today. Between here and home or here and wherever you go, there are going to be other people on the road that you will have to interact with, Hopefully, hopefully not up close and personal, but there are other people in this world. And hear me, sadly, other people around you make bad decisions that don't just affect themselves. Other people make bad decisions that will affect you. That's another reason why bad things happen to otherwise good people or people who we'd say would be good. So we have our own sin, we have other people's sin. Other people's bad choices have an effect on us. You say, well, Darren, there's, sometimes it's not either. Tell me, what, what is 
the third. And the third is, you might think it's a, just a, a cop-out, you might think it's an oversimplified answer, but there is a sinful world that we live in where things just don't work the way they should. Someone once called it random chaos. You can call it whatever you want, but this world does not function as it was intended to. Our bodies don't function as they were intended to, or these relationships that we're in don't function as they were intended to. And it's all because we live in a sinful world. And you say, well, Darren, that's a great message for Easter Sunday morning. I'm glad I came. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Have a good day. Bye. There's not a whole lot of hope there if that's where we stop, is there? But I think it's worth understanding that we live in a, in a world and in, a, in an environment that is surrounded by sin. One of pain and suffering and death and sorrow. We live in a broken world, but thankfully God has not checked out. God has not decided to just leave this world behind and start new somewhere else. I remember when I was a kid, I loved to draw. I loved to, to, to um, draw things, and I'd grab a nice clean sheet of paper, and I'd get kind of halfway into my drawing, and I'd kind of make a mistake, and I'd grab an eraser, and I'd try to erase, and then you got that faint kind of marking, and I didn't like, so I'd just crumple up the paper, and I wanted a fresh sheet. Thankfully, God didn't want a fresh sheet. But at the same time, thankfully, God has a solution. God has a solution. He, doesn't, he hasn't just made do. He hasn't just gone, well, plan B. I've said this from time to time over the years. Is, you know, think about this. God didn't wake up one day, realize that Satan had come in and duped his creation, and then had to go back into the, into the back room, into the boardroom, and try to figure out a solution. Do you know that God was not surprised when sin entered the world? God knew that when he created that sin would be a part of his creation and that it was going to cost his son to correct the problem. You talk about love that God had, knowing that his creation would turn from him and it would cost him his very son. Thankfully, God has a solution. Earlier this week, it was Monday, that many of us were glued to our television sets with a world event. Um, unless you were living in a hole somewhere or on top of a mountain without cell service, uh, um, you turned on your TV or your internet or something to find out that Notre Dame uh, Cathedral in, in Paris was on fire. This is a cathedral that was built uh, over 200 and some odd years in the 11th, 12th century. Uh, it took uh, 200 years to build. The spire uh, towers almost 300 feet above the ground. A massive cathedral. I've never been there, but I've seen plenty of pictures. I know many of you have been there. This is a masterpiece. Many call it an a, uh, amazingly perfect uh, uh, example of Gothic architecture. Uh, inside and out, just the amazing detail. You think of the workers over those 200 years painstakingly uh, paying attention to every single little nook and cranny. I don't think anyone over those 200 years said, oh, no one's going to see this, let's just do this. I don't know, every single place. And it was created ultimately for the glory of God. It was something that was, a, a, it was meant to be a testament of how great God is. An amazing masterpiece. And yet on Monday, the, a fire broke out. And this fire um, 
not just damaged, but destroyed a masterpiece. The reason why I say this is, just like fire came in and damaged a building like this, I believe many times our lives are very much like that. You see, God created every single one of us as His masterpiece, and yet when sin entered the world, our lives went up in smoke. Some other pictures here of the inside. Just stop there for a second. You know, when I pulled up this picture on the internet and I was just looking at it, once again, I've never been there. But I heard the Lord saying to me, He said, I wonder how many people's lives look like that or feel like that. I had to put it, make it personal because just to be honest, there have been times in my life where I've felt like that. Created in God's image, created as His masterpiece, and yet for one reason or another, when sin rears its ugly head in my life, that's a depiction of what my life looks like. There's another picture there of the altar. I love this picture with the cross standing bright, standing tall amid the rubble. You know, your life, my life, guaranteed has looked like that from time to time. Broken, banged up, bruised, destroyed. But that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. So how do we get from here? How do we find a solution to the problem? And it's in His Son, Jesus Christ. The only one who can repair your life. The only one that can fix my life. You see, I can try and try and try. I can, I can you know, get the next best, latest, greatest thing. You know, I can try to improve myself. I can do the self-help things. I can do the lose 40 pounds in 40 days. I can do the, you know, I can, I can try to conjure all these things up. And, and you and I have done it before. And you and I will probably do it again, but can I just tell you this, that the only one that can fix my life and the only one that can fix your life, make it meaningful, make it fulfilling, make it full of joy, and bring me out of despair and anxiety, fear, worry, and bondage, is Jesus, is the Master Himself. The only one that can make that cathedral look like it did is the Master, is the, the Master Carpenter, is the one who has created it in the first place. Now I know it, it's not a perfect illustration, ma illustration matching our lives up to a cathedral. You are so much more valuable. You are so much more beautiful. You are so much more amazing. The Master wants to rebuild you. The Master has come to rebuild you and remake you and to fix the damage that was caused by the enemy in the garden. That is the solution. His solution for your life. That's why God sent His Son. John 3 says, God loves you so much that He sent His Son. That whoever believes in Him won't perish, but they will have eternal life. You see, that's the solution to the problem. Each and every one of us was, uh, was separate from God because of sin. And yet God sent His Son to restore that relationship that was broken. To fix the brokenness. To clear out the rubble. To make you and me new again. And He says, welcome into my presence that we can have this one-on-one -on -one relationship 
just like Adam and just like Eve did in the garden. We can have paradise restored, even though we live in a sinful world. That's a sermon for another time. That we live in this time where sin is still abounding, where, where the enemy is still active. One day we will be set free from that and we will live in His presence for all of eternity with no sickness, with no death, with no suffering, with no, no sorrow. But in this time, we can have victory. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He says, you know what? I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but in the meantime, I've given you my Holy Spirit who will empower you to walk in victory. Even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of sorrow and suffering, you will be set free. Filled with joy. I love John. He goes on to say that God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. You know that? God didn't send His Son Jesus to point the finger and say, how could you have messed this up? I don't know how many times when I was a kid I had broken a toy or broken something of mine. Um, once again, being Canadian, I had my hockey stick. And how many times did your hockey stick break and take it to dad? And you know, the last thing you want is, you dirty, rotten kid, why'd you break your hockey stick? That's not what God came to do. He didn't come to point a finger at you and say, you dirty, rotten sinner, why'd you go and do that? No, He said, I brought my son. Because I've sent my son into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. And hear me, today, you can have life. Life to the full. Life to everlasting. Eternal life. It's a matter of surrendering your life to Him. Accepting the free gift of salvation of Christ on the cross, His body broken for you, His blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. You don't have to do anything except receive the gift that He's provided for you. And you can do that right now. I'm inviting our worship team to come and join me. If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads in prayer.